The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with stocks trying for a third straight day of gains as a growing list of Wall Street's top strategists turn more cautious on the recent rally. But today, it is all about inflation with the June CPI report due out in just over three hours from now. Why one index is getting some outsized, outsized attention ahead of that report. And Microsoft, it clears a major antitrust hurdle in its pursuit of Activision, the tech giant now setting its sights on Roblox overseas. Plus, why Kathy Wood's love affair with Coinbase, it may actually be coming to an end. And then later in the show, Taylor's Ticketmaster troubles hitting fans once again. This time, it's in France. It is Wednesday, July the 12th, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. With stocks trying for a third straight day of gains, we are seeing green across the board at this very early hour. All three indices up fractionally. This is investors away for today's June CPI report with the annualized number expected to fall from 5.3 percent to just over 3 percent. That would be, if we see that happen, the lowest since March of 2021, that 3.1 percent. So stripping out food and energy, the core CPI, economists forecast a rise of 5 percent year over year. That would be the lowest number since November of 2021, something that we're closely watching and could be a market mover. Ahead of that, we're checking the bond market right now. We're looking at yields. As always, you begin with the benchmark 10-year Right now at 3.94. Now, this is basically back to where it started the month after rising above 4%. We're also seeing movement on the two-year, and it's now settled back down. The 30-year, though, we have seen pretty steady movement to the upside with that up about 10 basis points from where we started the month. All right, we're also looking at energy, specifically oil. We're seeing oil moving to the upside this morning. We're seeing WTI above 70 bucks, 75 bucks a barrel this morning, up almost a half a percent. Brent crude inching towards 80 bucks a barrel, up almost a half a percent. Big move to the downside for natural gas, though, down just about 1%. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. We have our Pippa Stevens here with more. Pippa, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Well, British chip designer Arm is reportedly in talks to bring in NVIDIA as an anchor investor as it moves ahead with plans for a New York stock listing as soon as September. The Financial Times reporting NVIDIA is the latest company to hold talks with SoftBank-owned Arm to take a long-term stake in the company at its IPO, with the two firms negotiating over valuation, potentially between $35 billion and $40 billion. Kathy Wood's ARK Investment reducing its holding of Coinbase for the first time in almost a year yesterday, selling more than 135,000 shares amid an almost 10% rally in the stock. ARK is the fourth largest holder of Coinbase and has been buying the stock on price dips for nearly 11 months until this June, even during crypto market volatility due to regulatory concerns, the collapse of FTX and a slew of industry bankruptcies. And Taylor Swift's bad blood with Ticketmaster still running hot. Overseas, fans in France reporting issues with accessing Ticketmaster's site 
to purchase seats for the singer's Eras tour, leading to an abrupt delay of sales for six upcoming shows. An, explain, an explanation was not immediately clear, but in posts on Ticketmaster's French Twitter, several hours later, the company cited a problem with a third-party provider and said it's working to resolve the matter as soon as possible. Frank, are you a Swifty? I'm definitely not a Swifty. <laughs> I'm just not. I don't even, I don't listen to much of the music. I know Bad Blood, I got that reference, but if you do anything else, I'm just lost. Okay, so you were not impacted by the sales glitch. <laughs> I, I was impacted by the concert. The concert was pretty close to my house. Traffic was backed up here in the New York City area for about two days. <laughs> so definitely the concert, but the sales glitch, no. No, I'm okay. okay. What about Good you? No, I am a Swifty, but I was not even going to try to get tickets. It just seemed too hard, and I'm happy to just listen. <laughs> That's a bad sign if it's too hard to buy tickets to your favorite artist. All right, Pippa Stevens, we'll see you later in the show. All right, we're turning our attention now from the Swifties back to Wall Street. The markets have put in stellar gains this year on the back of the AI-driven tech rally and signs that inflation, it may actually be cooling. But some Wall Street strategists are starting to lean a bit more cautious. The latest city cutting its U.S. outlook to neutral, saying that recession risk remains elevated in growth stocks. They may be set for a pullback as AI euphoria fades. Then there's Barclays. Raising its S&P price target to 41.50, but still warning, stocks will likely be range-bound. Goldman is more cautious on earnings growth next year, given potential headwinds from bank stress and the resumption of student loan payments, something we don't probably talk enough about. Lastly, Stiefel sees the S&P 500 leveling off right around 4,400, but could rotate towards defensive names ahead of a potential recession next year. Let's bring in Janet Moy, head of market analysis at RBC Bruin Dolphin. Janet, it's always great to see you. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Frank. Thanks for having me. All right. So we got to just address it. Where do you stand when it comes to fears of recession? How do you see today's CPI report and the potential impact it'll have on the Fed? How does that shape your view going forward? Hi. Um, so our view is that um, we are cautious at the moment. We think that the year-to-date rally has been pretty strong. Uh, you almost need a pretty perfect economic situation, which is a soft landing and inflation coming back down to 2% and Fed cutting rates. Um, that is actually quite unlikely. We think that uh, recession is likely uh, in the first half of next year. Uh, primarily, that's because of the tightening in credit conditions. And also, the yield curve is heavily inverted. I think it will be a, a very difficult not to see uh, some sort of a recession. Um, so we cautious. We think that it, the risk-reward of increasing equities at this stage is it, it, tempting to chase the rally, but we don't think it is worth doing it at the moment. All right. So, Jen, i got to ask you, you sound beyond cautious. You sound just flat-out bearish. You're setting a lot of warning signals that you're paying a lot of attention to. But I want to talk to you about how you're advising your clients, who are mostly wealthy individuals. Right now, your base case for a portfolio, three-quarters of the portfolio, basically, in equity, 76.5%. Uh, only 12% in bonds. So why are you so heavily in the market if you're so cautious and you see a recession coming? Yeah, so basically, um, so this portfolio you're looking at is one of our higher risk portfolios. So we do have a range of portfolios catered to clients with different risk appetite. But um, so basically, we are looking at, say, equities is still underweight our benchmark, but it's actually a, a small underweight um, but the reason is because uh, we don't want to be uh, too far away from the benchmark at the moment. I mean, we mentioned that we are cautious, but ultimately um, we think that it is going to be a mild recession. We think that the bottom has probably been reached in last October. We, we don't see like a, a protracted sell-off in the markets, uh, but equally we don't think that it is going to have a massive rally from here. We think it is going to uh, be 
uh, a bit of a retracement in valuation, but not a, a deep one. So that's why, you know, yeah, there is a risk that the okay. equity rally may, may be going forward, but we just want to be cautious at this stage. That's interesting you say there's a risk that the equity rally may be going forward when you're so in the markets. So if there is a pullback, especially when it comes to valuations, where do you want to put money for the second half of the year? Yeah, so our, our favorite region in general structurally is still the U.S. And you mentioned the AI theme. This is a theme that we think is really interesting. It uh, basically is an area of innovation. Uh, it, we think that it will drive a lot of productivity gains going forward in the economy and benefiting not just the tech sector, but actually uh, across the various sectors that can make use of AI. Um, so we like the AI thing, but the valuation is, is one of the hurdles that we are having at the moment. Um, so yeah, if there is a retracement in the valuation, we'll be pretty interested in adding uh, more in some of these stocks, selectively, by the way. All right. Very interesting. We're looking at mega cap tech right now, moving a bit higher in the pre-market. Janet Moy, it is great to see you. Thank you for your time. All right. Turning to tech and shares of Activision Blizzard coming off a pretty wild session, surging more than 10 percent while hitting their highest level since 2021 after a federal judge cleared a major roadblock and Microsoft's $69 billion acquisition of the video game maker. Look at that chart. While the company awaits a more likely appeal by U.S. regulators on the decision, attention can now shift to overseas with similar concerns in the U.K. Our Arjun Kapal joins us now with much more on this story. Big stock move for Activision yesterday, Arjun. Absolutely, Frank. And really, it comes on the back of the UK's Competition and Markets Authority, the staunchest critic, uh, which effectively blocked this Microsoft Activision deal. Uh, they came out after the FTC's decision and effectively said they're ready to consider any proposals from Microsoft to restructure the transaction in a way that would address its concerns. So they've gone from saying absolutely no to the deal to coming back to the negotiating table with Microsoft. So what were the CMA's initial concerns? It really uh, revolved around the cloud gaming market and their concern that if this deal goes through, Microsoft will take a leading position in what is a very new and young market right now. They were also concerned about Microsoft making Activision games such as Call of Duty exclusive to its own platforms. Now, at the time uh, earlier this year when the CMA said that and blocked the deal, Microsoft offered some concessions. They said that they would allow some of the Activision games to be licensed to other cloud gaming players over a 10-year period as a way to allay some of those concerns over exclusivity. The CMA, however, rejected any of those concessions at the time. They said they would be effectively hard to enforce. And also they said there's a potential for conflict between Microsoft and some of these other cloud gaming providers. And actually, some of these concessions really don't go far enough to allay the CMA's concerns. So the question is, if the CMA rejected those concessions earlier this year from Microsoft, what exactly will the company offer even more to uh, get the UK regulators on their side? But all in all, investors pretty happy about uh, the movement from the CMA coming back to the negotiating table because the UK regulator, the CMA, is effectively the last hurdle here, really, uh, for the Microsoft to clear in order uh, to get this deal over the line. And so they're happy that the regulators are talking to Microsoft again and hoping for a res re resolution, Frank. All right, right now we're showing the stocks of both Microsoft and Activision. Activision moving about a half a percent higher in the pre-market. So I, I want to kind of pull on this thread a bit more. Uh, our Steve Kovacs done a lot of great reporting on this, saying that Call of Duty seems to be a point of contention, whether it's going to be available on both platforms. So give us more insight here. What other possible concessions might we see from Microsoft to appease these U.K. regulators? 
Yeah, so Microsoft has already signed a 10-year deal with Nintendo, effectively making Call of Duty available on its platform whenever it comes out with the same quality. It's offered a similar concession uh, to Sony, but uh, actually uh, Sony hasn't signed the deal. But it's early days right now in terms of what they can uh, offer the UK regulators. They could say, well... uh, offer more concessions in terms of the terms of the deal, in terms of the way they're giving these uh, uh, games to other platforms, the length of the agreement, for example. And interestingly, I think it'd be uh, to watch, very early on in the CMA's probe, they said to Microsoft, we'll let this deal go through if you manage to divest the Call of Duty business completely. At the time, Microsoft said, well, this is impossible. How do we divest just this one game out of Activision? So it'd be interesting to see if the CMA brings that back onto the table as well. So plenty of uh, questions here over exactly the kind of concessions Microsoft might offer and what the CMA going to ask, and they'll have a few months now to hash this out here in the UK. You know, Arjun, one quick question. FTC has until Friday to appeal. Are you expecting an appeal? They haven't done so very often in the past, Frank, but clearly this is a huge, huge deal for the FTC and for Lena Khan personally, who's taken up the, the, the head of the FTC on a very sort of anti-big tech, anti-trust agenda as well. So it could go either way here, Frank. Uh, clearly a lot to play for here for the FTC, but also whether they like to drag this out or not is another question. Yeah, a lot to think about here. I got to be honest, Arjun, as long as FIFA is available on PlayStation, I'm good to go. All right. Good to see you, man. <laughs> That's key. That <laughs> is key, Frank. As good always, great you. reporting. Thanks a lot. All right. A lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, much more ahead of today's CPI report and what Moody's Mark Zandi is telling clients ahead of the release. Plus, after a sizzling first half of the year for stocks, investors, they may be getting just a little bit worried about whether we've become too far and too fast. Investopedia editor-in-chief Caleb Silver, he's here, taking a deeper look into individual investor sentiment. And then later on the show, we'll look at the next market. Luxury giant LVMH hopes to crack. Our Robert Frank is here to dig in on that. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on the action in Asia and the early trade over in Europe. Our Arabile Goumede is standing by in our London newsroom with more. Arabile, good morning. 
Morning, Frank. So we've actually got a positive start to the trading day across the board. It's been around just over two hours since the market opened out here in Europe. And really, it's positivity across the board here, taking on from yesterday's numbers. A lot of these sessions have actually been uh, on the up for more than two days at the very least. The FTSE 100 want to note then. UK banks have been under a stress test from the Bank of England. And today, having passed that stress test, the governor of the Bank of England, uh, Andrew Bailey, has said that there are significant risks still in this market one needs to consider because we are still in an interest rate hiking cycle and things may get a little bit worse for wear. But having taken that stress test to around 6% when it comes to the fund rate, it does seem that a lot of the banks, particularly the eight UK banks, will be resilient and be able to manage throughout that time. So what is the follow-on, though, from Asia? Well, that market is also one to look out for, having seen Japanese wholesale prices then come out as well today. That has slowed then uh, to effectively their lowest pace in six months uh, coming out of Japan. But the Shanghai Composite, as well as the Nikkei, managing to, to, to dip around eight-tenths of a percent. But positivity, though, for the Hang Seng, as well as the ASX 200 out in Australia. So overall, though, Europe positive, Asia fairly mixed. Frank? All right, Arabile, thank you very much. Arabile Goumede, live in our London newsroom. All right, we're going to stick with overseas action. This year's NATO summit, it wraps up today with Ukraine's Vladimir Zelensky meeting today with key world leaders in Lithuania, including President Biden. Our Steve Sedgwick is on the ground now and joins us with the latest on the action. Steve, you've been doing some great reporting out there. What's the latest today? Thanks, Frank. Yeah, I think we've spoken to about 14 to 15 world leaders, including Ursula von der Leyen, the boss of the European Union this morning, who all say pretty much that, yes, there is a place for Ukraine in NATO, in the EU, but just not yet. And we heard from Vladimir Zelensky on his arrival here today. This is what he had to say. On our agenda, we have, I think, for today, three priority questions. The first one is... Uh, weapon packages, new weapon packages for supporting our army. On, on his agenda, they've got two things on the agenda. One is for Vladimir Zelensky to get membership of NATO, or strong indications of. So let's just part of that one. We talked a lot about that. The second is to get armaments to the battlefield. And I actually spoke to his defense minister, Reznikov, yesterday, and I said to him, look, are all these weapons promises from the US, from Germany, from the UK, from the West, getting to the battlefield? And actually, I was surprised they said, yes, they are getting to the battlefield in a timely flash fashion. And there's going to be more to come as well. I heard from the Danish and the Netherlands defence ministers yesterday who have just set up a coalition of 11 countries who are going to give F-16 training uh, to those Ukrainian pilots as well. France is offering long-range cruise missiles. Germany, an extra 700 million euros package of weapons, including which is pivotal for the battlefield, uh, an extra 25 Leopard tanks. So on one front, absolutely, he's getting support. They need to fight the Russians on the battlefield. On another front, he's just going to have to put up with the fact that there will be the dangling carrot of membership at some stage, hopefully after this war is ended, but it ain't going to happen yet. Frank, back to you. <laughs> That's a pretty clear message there at the end. Our Steve Sedgwick, great reporting there in Lithuania. Thank you again. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, summer may just be getting started, but a new report out this morning shows just how much inflation is expected to weigh on back-to-school shopping, plus why Disney may be unloading a key property in a very lucrative global market. We've got the full story when Worldwide Exchange returns. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. 
That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The market's gains yesterday adding to what's already been an impressive start to the year for investors. But investor sentiment, it appears to be shifting. That's according to new data out from Investopedia. It's all due to worries around more Fed rate hikes and a potential recession. Caleb Silver is the editor-in-chief at Investopedia, and he joins us now with much, much more. Caleb, good morning. Thanks for being here. Good to be with you. All right, let's start off with what are individual investors, what are they looking for? When they go on your site and other sites, what are they searching for? Yeah, we like to look at what our visitors are searching for. We look at it over a course of time, over the last several weeks. Here's what came to the top of the list. Mm -hmm. What is a doom loop? And that is not a rap beat by Cypress Hill. A doom loop is that negative economic cycle, and people have been talking about that with what's happening in downtowns across America in terms of those vacancies. Also, how to invest in AI. Second one, yeah, of course. Fear to the left, greed to the right. We're stuck in the middle with people looking for opportunities, but also worried about their money. Where's the best place to find a high-yield savings account? What's the best money market account? A lot of that still, because you're getting good rates there. But student loan debt was also on people's minds. People want to know who owns it and how much is actually owed, and also how to minimize taxes on 401k withdrawals. This surprised me that people are actually thinking about potentially tapping their 401ks. Yeah, it's not a good sign when two of the questions are about debt and withdrawing from your 401k. Um, In June, we saw the market basically broaden out. I want to kind of touch on some of the data that you're getting right now um, when it comes to what funds that investors are looking at. So top three are the VOOO, excuse me, the VOO, basically the S&P 500, the RSP, the equal-weighted S&P 500, and then the SPY. We all know what that is. Um, what does it tell us about the market in the second half that so many people are looking for uh, an index that invests in the broader market? Yeah, it's size kind of rules everything around here. So VOO, one of the biggest ETFs out there, that is the whole stock market. But then you have people also searching and putting money into the equal-weight S&P because right. they're worried about that concentration of the Magnificent Seven or whatever we're calling them these days carrying too much of the market's load. So people are both putting money into the big SPYs, the big VOOs, but also looking for the equal weight, but also looking for opportunities in the queues that have been really strong pretty much for the last six months. Yeah, but your top three are basically the S&P. I think that's interesting. When people are really interested in, in mega cap tech and AI, but they want to put their money more actively into the broader market. Yeah, people want to get a little promiscuous, but they still gravitate to where size is because they want to be with everybody else. That's herd mentality, and we've seen it pretty much since this rally began in October. They want to go to where the safety and the most investors are putting their money these days. All right, fascinating, fascinating data that you have here. One of the things I saw were fund flows. We, kind of, we made a chart here looking at it month to month. What does that tell you? What does that tell you about individual investors? Yeah, I think it's a push and pull. You saw a lot of aggressive fund flows, maybe sort of in the end of last year and the beginning of this year, pulling back a little bit. So if you look at mutual fund flows and ETF fund flows, they're kind of meh, which kind of tells you this market's been grinding higher slowly. This hasn't been a big surge. It's just been a slow tick higher because people are both institutions and individuals not quite sure if they want to commit yet. That lack of conviction, Frank, that might be holding us back from higher highs. All right, so lack of conviction conviction or anxiety, which one would you say it is? I'd say a little bit of both. And the anxiety is concentrated when we look at what our users are searching for in our anxiety index. They're anxious about their own money. They're anxious about 
you know, their money in the bank. They're anxious about whether they're going to be protected if we go into a recession. So there's anxiety about personal finance, but a little less anxiety about the market, which is kind of why you got that wishy-washiness in those fund flows. All right. A lot to watch. Caleb Silver, always great to have you here. Caleb Silver, editor-in-chief of Investopedia. Great data. All right. Let's get a check on some of this morning's headlines outside of the world of business. We have NBC's Jessica Layton. She's in New York with the very latest. Jessica, good morning. Frank, good Wednesday morning to you. We begin with that other utter devastation left in the wake of that flooding in Vermont. The state's historic capital area slammed by about two months worth of rain in a matter of hours. The city of Montpelier is now under a boil water advisory and officials are still keeping an eye on a dam upstream from the capital as it nears capacity. 14 counties in Vermont have already been declared disaster areas. After 53 years, Charles Manson follower Leslie Van Houten has been released on parole from a prison in California. Now 73, she was convicted of the 1969 murders of Leno and Rosemary LaBianca. A state court blocked Governor Gavin Newsom's latest attempt to stop the release. She was originally sentenced to death, but an appeal reversed it to life with the possibility of parole. And after nine straight defeats, the National League finally has some bragging rights, winning the MLB's All-Star Game for the first time since 2012. Colorado Rockies catcher Elias Diaz hit a two-run homer in the eighth to help lift the AL to a 3-2 win over the American League in Seattle. So, Frank and everyone, let it be known, nobody beats the National League ten times in a row in the All-Star Game. Frank, I'll send it back to you. A lot of fun. A lot of fun these all-star games. Jessica, it is great to see you as always. Thank you. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, why top economist Mark Zandi is optimistic ahead of today's June inflation report. Plus, Kim Kardashian reportedly looking to retake control of her beauty empire. And the stock seeing some pre-market action on that news. Worldwide Exchange will be back right after this. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and there's still a lot ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. Investors gearing up for that critical report on inflation and fresh signals on the Fed's rate hike path forward. Moody's Mark Zandi is laying out whether price pressure could ease further. A U.S. judge giving Microsoft the green light in its bid for Activision as the tech giant now turns its attention to the U.K. to get that $69 billion deal done and a potential battle of the luxury brands. Our Robert Frank is here. He's going to lay out why the clock may be ticking closer to a showdown between LVMH and Rolex. It is Wednesday, July the 12th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures as investors gear up to that big June CPI report. More on that in just a moment, but first, a look at the pre-market. You're seeing green across the board. The Nasdaq doing the best, up about a quarter of a percent. The other two up fractionally as well. We're also checking the bond market ahead of that CPI report, looking at yields. We always begin with the benchmark 10-year. We're seeing the benchmark 10-year at 3.94. So it's ticked up about 10 basis points in July. It was even higher at one point at about 4.09, but back below that level right now. We're also seeing more positive moves on the two-year and the 30-year, something we continue to watch. We also want to look at energy, specifically oil. WTI hovering at its highest level since early May. Right now, we're seeing WTI just a tick below 75 bucks a barrel off of its highs of earlier. Up fractionally, Brent crude, similar story, off of its highs of earlier this morning, but right around 79 and a half. Um, bigger downside move when it comes to natural gas, down almost 1%. All right, back now to our top story. And investors counting down to today's June CPI report. 
That's due out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time. Economists expecting the headline number to fall to its lowest level since March of 2021 with a 3.1 percent read year over year. Now, if you strip out food and energy, that's the core number. It's expected to come in at its lowest level since November of 2021 at 5 percent. But one key consumer price is getting some outsized attention this week. We're talking about used car prices. According to Cox Automotive's latest Mannheim used vehicle value index, something we don't talk that often about, wholesale used vehicle prices last month, they fell for a third straight time with their largest decline since April of 2020. You're seeing the move right there. Join me now with more Mark Zandi, chief economist at Moody Analytics. Mark, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Frank. Good to be with you. All right. So we don't talk a lot about that Mannheim index here on CNBC. I don't know if it's something that you pay attention to, but how big of a read is it? into CBI, CPI. I don't know if you remember last week, you saw the jobs report. ADP came in very hot, but the actual jobs number came in different. Is there any parallel to what we're seeing here when it comes to used car prices and CPI? Uh, I look at the Mannheim. Uh, we can, at Moody's, we construct our own used car price index based on uh, uh, wholesale transactions. And we saw a large decline in the month of June of about 3%, well over 3%, down 9% year over year. Uh, and it matters. I mean, it, in, in terms of it, its uh, weight in the CPI, it, it's probably two, three percent. So it's not a big deal. But, uh, you know, it is indicative that that's a that's an area where we had seen very significant price increases that added to inflation you know, back a year or so ago. And now it's going to start to weigh on inflation. So a very positive development. New, new vehicle prices also have rolled over. And, you know, Frank, most fun, what's fundamentally going on here is that we're getting more uh, global production. Uh, Japan and Germany, which are large vehicle producers, have had supply chain issues since the pandemic. Uh, they're ironing those things okay. out and we're getting more production. And, and that's bringing down price. All right. So estimates for 3.1 percent when it comes to CPI. What do you expect? Are you in line with those other estimates? And also, what do you think it means for the Fed's, the Fed's policy path forward? I know you had a conversation with John Williams yesterday. Yeah, I, I in line uh, a couple tenths of a percent increase in the month uh, on the overall CPI, uh, two or three tenths of a percent on core CPI. Uh, so that's would be encouraging year over year, as you say, three percent. Uh, that's down from nine percent at the peak of, about a year ago. Um, so we're moving in the right direction, and vehicle prices are part of the story. The other big part of the story uh, is the uh, growth in the cost of housing services. That's a much larger component of the CPI, about a third a third of the CPI. And that's going to start to uh, grow much more slowly going forward. And that just goes back to rents. We're getting a lot more multifamily rental supply, a lot less demand because of the surge in rents previously and and, uh, affordability issues. So uh, more supply, less demand. That means higher vacancy, weaker rent. That means slower growth in the cost of housing services. It's all very good. So inflation is still too high, but it's moving in the right direction. And just to connect the dots back to the Fed, I mean, the Fed wants inflation, understandably, uh, lower than it is today. But I do think it is moving in the right direction. And I think, you know, with another rate hike or two, that seems like where the Fed's going here. Uh, that should be sufficient to get inflation back in the bottle, you know, in a reasonable amount of time. You know, Mark, you said one rate hike or two. We keep hearing from Fed officials that it's more than likely two. Uh, I want to go back to your conversation with John Williams. What sense did you get after that conversation? Well, John, John's not t- giving me much of a sense. I mean, he he, he was uh, asking me the questions. I would love to have asked him the questions, but uh, he was uh, pretty uh, poker-faced, uh, so I couldn't read too much into it. But my my sense is that uh, the, the kind of the, the the preponderance of the view on the Fed is 
couple rate hikes, a quarter point each, uh, and that'll be the end of the story. But, you know, my own view uh, is that uh, they've done what they need to do. They could stop right here and we'd be just fine. But uh, I, I suspect they want to go another another at least once, probably uh, two more times. But I, I didn't. That's not. I, that's just based on everything else I know. Okay. Not so much based on what uh, John had to say yesterday. Yeah, right now we're showing the odds for a hike in the July meeting, 92% right now. All right, so John Williams with the poker face. I want to bounce something else off of you. You tell me how you read this. Back-to-school spending expected to decline 10% this year, first decline in nine years. What does that tell you about inflation and the consumer? Well, uh, consumers are shifting their preferences. Uh, you know, they're just shifting what they're spending their money on uh, away from stuff and, and towards services, travel and ball games and that kind of thing. And that may be partly what you're, you're, is reflected in that, that decline in back-to-school sales. Uh, so I wouldn't read too much into it. I mean, I think in general, consumers are doing their part. They're hanging tough. Uh, they're not spending with abandon, but they're doing just enough to keep the economy moving forward. And that goes to you know, pretty good fundamentals, lots of jobs, low unemployment, leverage is low, at least uh, on average across households, and lots of excess saving. People are have a lot of cash, particularly if you're high-income, middle-income, a lot of cash in the bank, and they're they're using that to calibrate their spending. So I think consumers are going to you know just hang in there, and, and that, that's key to keeping the economy out of recession, but not spending too much that you know becomes inflationary. So I think uh, not too hot, not too cold. It feels just about right. But what people okay. are spending their money on is shifting quite a bit. All right. Mark Zanny with the Goldilocks Outlook. Great to see you Here as you always. Go. Thank you for being here. Take care. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Pippa Stevens is back with those. Pippa. Hello again, Frank. Well, IBM is reportedly weighing using in-house designed AI chips in one of its cloud computing services. A company executive telling Reuters it may integrate the chip as part of its new Watson X service, which became widely available this week. The exec says IBM is hoping to take advantage of the boom in AI technology more than a decade after Watson, its first major AI system, failed to gain market traction. Disney is reportedly exploring strategic options for its Star India business. According to the Wall Street Journal, those options could include a joint venture or a sale of the unit. The journal says Disney has talked to at least one bank about how to help the India business grow, while sharing some of the costs as Disney and other rivals make a bigger pivot away from traditional TV towards streaming. Disney CEO Bob Iger will join CNBC's David Faber for an exclusive conversation tomorrow at 8 a.m. Eastern. And a new development over a potential strike by Hollywood actors. The Screen Actors Guild says it has agreed to a last-minute request to work with a federal mediator in contract negotiations around pay and residuals with film and TV studios. That contract expires today, and the Guild says it won't extend that deadline to reach a deal. If strike does happen, SAG members could join the Writers Guild of America on the picket line. Frank? That'd be a big development for Hollywood to have mm-hmm. both SAG-AFTRA and the writers on strike. Something to certainly watch. Yep. Pippa, thank you very much. All right, quick market flash for you now. Shares of Cody rising ahead of the open. The Wall Street Journal reporting that Kim Kardashian is in talks with the fragrance and cosmetic giant to buy back a minority stake in her beauty firm. Looking at shares of Cody up 3% right now. The journal adds the value of the stake has not been determined and those talks could fall apart. Something to watch. All right, sticking with the high end and the luxury brand market, a battle. It's already starting to take shape, and who else to bring in but our Robert Frank. LVMH, a dominant player in fashion accessories, looking to make new headway in the world of watches. But but brands like the iconic Rolex providing a big hurdle in that quest. Robert Frank, you're here to break it all down. Good morning. Great to see you. 
Good morning, Frank. Good to see you. Well, Tag Heuer, that's the iconic watch brand owned by LVMH, opening a new flagship boutique in New York today. They plan to more than double their U.S. boutiques to 50 in the next three years. It's all part of LVMH's plan to be the leader in every luxury category. Its jewelry and watch division growing 11 percent in the first quarter with nearly $3 billion of sales. Frederick Arnault, the CEO of Tag Heuer and the 28-year-old son of Bernard Arnault, says demand for new watches remains very strong right now. Tag Heuer even has waiting lists of over 18 months for many of its models. But prices for some pre-owned collectible watches, especially from Rolex, Patek Philippe and others, they have fallen more than 20 percent in recent months. After COVID, there was a very strong uh, growth acceleration, especially on watches. And also, uh, we saw a huge surge in the second-hand market, uh, due also to speculation, with uh, many resale prices that were increasing a lot. And this has changed in the past uh, six to eight months, where the second-hand market uh, now uh, has uh, normalized again. Arnaud said China is actually picking up again, especially among the Chinese who are traveling to Europe and other parts of the world. LVMH is going to report its second quarter results at the end of July. So, Frank, we'll get a much better sense of how that jewelry and watch division is faring. That'll be a great read into a lot of things, including the luxury spirits market as well. I want to go back to the watches for a second, though, Robert. You mentioned that prices were going down and for some of those higher end brands. Is that because a lot of people are wearing Apple watches and other digital watches? Do you see continued demand for these luxury analog watches? They are luxurious. They're beautiful, but they're still analog. And they're expensive, Frank. And what was really surprising during the pandemic is all the growth in luxury watches, especially online, came from millennials and Gen Z. They caught the watch bug from all the social media, seeing celebrities and athletes wear these watches. They started doing the research. So there was this huge wave of even speculation trading the Rolex Daytona, the Audemars Piguet, uh, Royal Oak, some offshore, some of these sort of iconic trophy watches. Those prices more than tripled during the pandemic. They've come down a bit. But still, when you go into a store and try to buy a new watch, whether it's from Tag Heuer, Patek Philippe or Rolex, you just can't get one. So that's continuing to support some prices in the online markets. All right. A lot to watch. I just love seeing all those watches, Robert. Just like a lot of beautiful timepieces. But I got to admit, I wear a Fitbit myself. Robert Frank, we got to do this Frank and Frank podcast one of these days. Great to see you. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, your morning's global briefing. And some positive signals for Microsoft over its Activision deal from overseas regulators after that major U.S. decision. Worldwide Exchange, back in just a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet where we check on a few of this morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades by firms you know and stocks that you likely own. We begin with Atlanta Equities downgrading Coinbase's rating to neutral but raising its price target to 80 bucks per share. It says the risk-reward for the stock looks less attractive after the recent rally, given continued regulatory challenges ahead and the surprisingly weak volume backdrop. Look at the shares of Coinbase, up three-quarters of a percent this morning. Raymond James upgrading SunPower's rating from outperform to a strong buy. It is dismissing what it calls the stock's excessive weakness over regulation concerns in California. Look at the shares of SunPower, up almost 2% this morning. And UBS out with a big price target increase for Netflix, going from $390 to $525 per share. It says it sees Netflix as the main beneficiary as peers prioritize profits in streaming. and says the company is on track for accelerating growth in the second half of the year. Shares of Netflix up 
almost three quarters of a percent this morning. And time now for your global briefing, a check on the headlines, dominating conversations on trading desks all around the world. We begin with regulators in the UK appearing to soften their opposition on Microsoft's $69 billion deal for Activision. The country's Competition and Markets Authority saying it was prepared to consider Microsoft's proposal to resolve antitrust concerns there after a U.S. judge cleared the path for the deal. New Zealand's central bank, one of the world's most hawkish central banks, keeping interest rates unchanged for the first time in nearly two years at its meeting today. The bank saying the rate should remain at a restrictive level for the foreseeable future. And the European Union reportedly set to hit Illumina with a record antitrust fine today. Recording, according to reports, the U.S.-based genetics testing company is being penalized for closing its takeover of Grail before it secured approval from regulators there. The reports add the fine could total 10% of Illumina's global revenue. That's the maximum allowed under EU rules. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus a critical trading day ahead as investors await that latest look on inflation. What a lower-than-expected read could mean in the market's day ahead. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more Worldwide Exchange back after this break. Live shots from around the world this morning. We're looking at London, where the trading day is already underway. Hong Kong, it's the evening over there. New York area, where we are right now. And, of course, our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., the day just getting started. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for what we call your WEX wrap-up. Six stories that you need to know before the opening bell. We begin with British chip designer and SoftBank-backed SoftBank arm and talks to bring in NVIDIA to be what the Financial Times is calling an anchor investor for its upcoming U.S. IPO. Arm is reportedly seeking a valuation of close to $80 billion. Microsoft says a China-based hacking group breached a series of Western government email accounts last month. Microsoft says it only discovered that breach following a probe last month. The OECD saying 27% of jobs in its member block rely on skills that could easily be automated, and therefore those jobs could be at risk as a result of artificial intelligence. Kathy Wood's ARK Investment Management sold some of its holdings in Coinbase yesterday for the first time in almost a year. ARK is the fourth largest Coinbase shareholder. Bye Bye Baby's 11th hour effort to save its stores, it's failed. Sources tell CNBC brand management firm Go Global Retail was eager to add the brand to its corporate family, but ultimately could not reach an agreement on valuation. And Deloitte's annual back-to-school shopping survey finds that consumers plan to spend 10% less per student this year. Shoppers citing inflation and their worsening personal financial situation as primary reasons for their decision to cut back. We're also getting you ready for the trading day ahead. Two key data points offering insight into inflation and the economy. June CPI out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern and the Fed's beige book at 2 p.m. Eastern. A four Fed presidents out speaking today on the back of CPI and Amazon Prime Day. It continues running until the end of today. All right, markets awaiting that key inflation data out in just a few hours as investors assess the potential impact of more rate hikes this year. J.P. Morgan's weekly survey showing clients are continuing to unwind positions in treasuries with long positioning now retreating from the most elevated levels since 2010. This is Wall Street traders. They cash out of bets on a further flattening of the yield curve and expectations for more volatility due to uncertainty over the, the path forward for inflation. For more on how to position around CPI as well as where to invest in the markets, let's bring in Mimi Duff, Managing Director at Gentrust. Mimi, good morning. Thank you so much for being here. 
Thanks for having me. All right. So maybe let's get into this one. You're a little bit of a contrarian. You remain bullish on treasuries, but you're looking at tips or treasury inflation protected security. So I know the one year is one of the things that you're looking at. When I look at it, yield just under 4% on the tip compared to a a regular one-year treasury at 5.4%. Why is that a better play for investors? Well, when you buy treasury inflation-protected securities, you're actually buying a real yield plus the realized inflation. And break-even inflations in the front end around two years are about 2%, for instance. And we think that actual inflation will come in above that level. And for that reason, we, we like replacing some of the fixed income complex with those front end tips. All right. So just to be clear, you get whatever the level is inflation and inflation turns out to be for the year on top of the yield when it comes to the tips. On top of the real yields, you're earning a positive real yield, which, frankly, we haven't seen positive real yields for a really long time. Um, so while we do think that the Fed has some more hikes in uh, in store to continue to control inflation, uh, investors should be enjoying positive real yields and plus the realized inflation in this environment. You know, really interesting stuff, a way to bet on prolonged higher than expected inflation, at least higher than the Fed wants. So with all that in mind, what is your WEX word of the day? Complacency. We think that the, um, the equity markets and the um, credit markets aren't really pricing in a prolonged um, uh, environment of higher rates from the Fed or a recessionary environment. And whereas the fixed income markets, as you were saying, with the curve deeply inverted and the commodities markets are signaling some slowdown, we feel like the equity markets are, are a bit complacent here. All right. So a bit complacent. So one thing that you're looking at is infrastructure. Uh, If you think the rest of the market's complacent, why are you so bullish on infrastructure right now? Yeah. So we're broadly we're we're a bit underweight in equities and we like infrastructure and and real assets broadly because we think that they will um, they will be supported by government regulatory environment, energy diversification, this sort of thing. So we do continue to Structure equities. So we're showing some ETFs that, that cover infrastructure right now. When I look at the pave, that's up pretty high year, uh, year to date. But some of the other ones kind of a mixed result. So we're seeing some very different results when it comes to investing in infrastructure stocks. Give us a sense. What do you think is the catalyst for the stocks? We know the money's coming from the government to rebuild roads and bridges. But for the stocks, what pushes those higher? Yeah, I think you'd really have to dive into each one of the components of those uh, of those ETFs. I mean, this year is really a winner a year of winners and losers. With just in the broad markets, for instance, you see uh, the tech doing so well, and yet regional banks down almost thirty percent. So I'd have to really get into the weeds on those uh, on the contributors, and I don't know if we have time right now. Right. Well, broad call, but in general, I think more and more people are saying investors need to do some homework and look at more individual stocks as opposed to ETFs. Mimi Duff, it is great to see you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. All right, we got a few news alerts for you right now. One of them out of Europe, chipmaker Broadcom has secured conditional EU antitrust approval for its $61 billion deal for cloud computing firm VMware. This after offering concessions to help rival Marvell Technology, taking a look at shares of all three right now. We're seeing Marvell up fractionally, VMware up about a third of a percent, Broadcom basically flat. Also crossing moments ago, EU antitrust regulators are finding Illumina, a record $471 million for closing their deal for Grail before securing regulatory approval. The fine is 10 percent of Illumina's global turnover and the maximum allowed under EU merger rules. Illumina said the fine was, quote unquote, unlawful. Looking at shares of Illumina 
actually fractionally higher. All right, that's going to do it for us. Squawk Box coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.